listening to Fox Sports Radio. Radio. You have to start out on opening day. It is it is finally here. Major League Baseball is here. We're seeing games almost everywhere, just not between the Mets and Nationals or in Boston because of rain. But I was surprised to find out that baseball could be the way to make the easiest amount of money when it comes to betting sports, Fez, because to, to me, it just doesn't, it doesn't make a lot of sense that with 162 games, with teams winning 60 here, another team's going to lose 60, and what you, what you do with the other 40, that baseball to me would seem like more of the toss-up when it comes to betting in sports of the one that you would want to stay away with. That's not the case? Is that what you're trying to tell me? Well, you know, the pro bettors love one aspect of baseball betting, and that is the nickel line, the minus 105 juice. Well, they call it a dime line, where okay. if two teams are evenly matched in football and basketball, in pretty much every sport, you have to lay 110 to win 100. But in baseball, you only have to lay minus 105. So if you put the math behind that to break even, if you could just pick 51.3% winners, I know that sounds ludicrously low, in pick'em games, you will break even. Any higher, you make money, Dan Byer. So, why is the VIG lower in baseball than any other sport? Because yeah. historically, when people were betting, they shied away from baseball. It wasn't as popular. And so, the books in Nevada said, you know, we need to entice people. We need to get more action. There's nothing going on in the summer. We don't want to lay off our employees. So, we're going to give a give back to the betters, basically giving them this dime line. And that has carried over. I'm shocked that it has at most books here through 2021. Now, there's 162 games like, isn't that like the more information that you get? The, I mean, isn't that always one of the issues? I mean, there's there's no other sport that comes even to clo- close to playing 162 games. So, so how does how does this information sort out with better? Since there seemingly is new information every night when it comes to uh, when it comes to Major League Baseball. You know, it's a great point. And by the end of the year, you can make the case that we know more about all these baseball teams than we will ever know about an NFL team, than we will know about a college football team. So you're spot on. By August, we have a really, really exceptional idea of just how good all the teams are because we do get to see so many games. So a lot of the pros do like to attack baseball earlier in the year before it becomes clear to all who the best pitchers are, who the best teams are for that year. Are you one of the pros that likes to do that? You know, I do, but I'm going to be honest. I have always struggled betting baseball compared to other sports. And a big part of that is you just, it is so analyze and there's so many statistics in baseball that I find it very difficult to get an edge on a baseball game that I can find in terms of other sports. As an example, right now, spring football, FCS football is going on. There's no real interest. We don't talk about it. But it's not unusual where you would see 10-point line moves on those games. The lines are just completely wrong at open because the bookmaker doesn't have enough data. Some of these teams haven't even played in 18 Uh months. Contrast that with all the spring training games and the prior data, all the prior matchups. So much is known in baseball that it, the analytic geeks have taken over and basically mastered most of the numbers. Well, this is this is what I'm like trying to, trying to sort out as I, as I'm learning because I honestly 
listen, I've, I've placed wagers on football games, I've placed wagers on NBA games, done it with college basketball before, done it with golf. Never wanted to never wanted to do baseball just because as I as I kind of laid out, it just seemed like it was more, you know, more even keel with that, you know, something different happening each day. Maybe maybe if I'm watching a game and, and Walker Bueller's pitching for the Dodgers and I say, okay, well they got their number five starter, maybe that's going to reel me in. But I've never I've I've never really been been drawn to it because it, to to me it just it just seems like the I don't want to say that the teams are even, that it's more of the 50-50 shot or the payoff isn't there. But to me, it just doesn't it, – it doesn't seem like – I know that the Kansas City Chiefs are a much better football team than, say, the Houston Texans. You know, in, in, in baseball – do we have that sort of like identity? Like, is that still applicable when it comes to these teams? Because record wise, I know that there's a gap, but in the NFL, we see it week, you know, week in and week out. Chiefs are 14 to 2, Texans are 4 and 12. In baseball, it still seems like these teams are a little bit closer than what we would get from the NFL. Yeah, you're spot on there because if you look, when we had a 16 game schedule, oftentimes we would have the the best NFL team would be lined around 12 wins. The expectation, meaning they're supposed to win 75 percent of their games. The very worst teams, think about the year the Miami Dolphins were supposed to tank, they were lined around four, so they were supposed to win 25 percent. You're never going to see an over under on a baseball team where a baseball team's projected to win 75 percent or even 70 percent of their games, and even the worst team. Teams aren't going to lose more than 70% sure. of their games. Now, this year is a little bit of an aberration. Your Dodgers, 103 and a half, so a historically high season win on the Dodgers, which obviously are just loaded. And the Pittsburgh Pirates send them to Triple A. 58 and a half wins for their season win. And Dan, I don't see anybody rushing to the window to bet that pirate over. <laughs> no, let, let's talk about some, some of these futures. And why it, it, is, is it just because the Dodgers are World Series champs? Is it because we actually know the players on the Dodgers as opposed to maybe some of these other teams? But why is there so much love when it comes to the Dodgers with these, with these futures and, 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 this, and this win total entering the season? You know, I think a big part of it was last year, we only played 60 games, and a lot of experts correctly, in my opinion, said, you know, this is a year the underdog can really win the World Series, because what's a short schedule, 16 teams making the playoffs, that's going to require the favorites to have to win an extra playoff series, put more teams in the running, and despite that, the Dodgers just went ahead and dominated, and if they were able to win in a 60-game series and dominate like they did, they pick up Trevor Bauer from my Reds, and this team looks better than last year's World Championship team, and they got 162 games to prove it, such that the third-best team in the odds in the MLB, San Diego Padres, they're around eight to one to win the World Series. The Dodgers are minus three hundred to win that division, the NL West, despite wow. having the third best team in baseball in their division. I'm a Brewers fan, just just so you know. So there's there may be a little bit of a rivalry with Reds and Brewers, but just because of NL Central. But they aren't, they aren't hated. Heck, they weren't even in the same league for for so many years. But it, it's it's amazing to see just the the love on the Dodgers. What about what about anything that happened before? Uh, right before opening day, were there any win totals that some people are saying, "Ah, it's a little low"? I like, I like the Cardinals or I like the Braves here. What about some of that late money when it came to uh, the the start of the baseball season? 
You know, it's interesting you brought up the Cardinals because although they're the favorite to win the division, I saw a season win on them drop from 87 down to 86. So a little money anti Cardinal. If there's one team that I saw the sharp betters going against, it was the Cincinnati Reds without Trevor Bauer. And frankly, the Reds were kind of a darling team for the wise guys last year. They were they liked to bet on the Reds. Red season win number. I saw some 81s dropped all the way to 79 and a half in some slots. So money coming against the Cincinnati Reds. Okay, then that tells me you lose Trevor Bauer, he goes to L.A., everybody loves L.A. Pitching seems to be the, the, the main thing. Mean, I mean, the Cardinals added Nolan Arenado, and their numbers dropped late. It seems that everybody's being brought in with, with pitching. Am I fair in, in, in saying that, or is, there, or is that just too far of a stretch for, for, for this Joe like me? I think that uh, Arenado, the feeling is maybe his numbers were a little bit inflated because of the favorable ballpark. And there's some talk about, is he going to continue the numbers that he put up previously? But let me me caveat all this. I am not a baseball expert. So whenever I'm talking baseball and individuals, I am... Not sure. the the expert here, but just globally, though, I pay great attention to the marketplace and what's going on. And frankly, there's certain teams I can tell you the betters, the sharp betters, bet on the Kansas City Royals. Their season number win number went up from seventy three and a half to seventy five. Dan, oh. don't ask me to break down the Kansas City Royals. No, don't worry, I won't. <laughs> I, don't ask me either. Don't ask Mackenzie either, because uh, none of us wants to do that. It's just interesting. I just you know like the, it, you know as a sports fan, the Cardinals are always just interesting, and yeah, yeah. I, I joked earlier today on how everybody, you know, the Cardinals fans, they're always the 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 uppity ups, the they know baseball, St. Louis, they'll applaud a sacrifice bunt, they'll applaud when you move <laughs> the runner over. Those St. Louis Cardinal fans, they know what they're doing. Um, yeah, trust me, I have no love for the Cardinals, but I just find it interesting. And the Aronado stuff actually makes a little sense when it comes to it, but when you're talking about names and movement and what we've got in Major League Baseball, it was one of the biggest names that uh, that we've seen. All right. Like I thought baseball was awful. I, I I didn't think that there would be any any reason to bet baseball. And I know that you may not be a be, be a fan of it, but it's interesting to see that there is so much action and the reasons behind it. Because I to to me it just seems like to me it just seems like such a coin flip. And you know, it will be interesting the changes this year. The designated hitter in the National League is gone for one year, so the pitchers are gonna have to bat. They didn't bat last year. We're gonna see some very inept sure. performances from National League pitchers trying to uh hit the ball this year. To to put you on the spot, and I apologize for doing so, they did keep the runner on second and extra innings. Does that play into any of this? Will that play in the you know, like now like the game goes extras, extra is there is there any Vegas knowledge when it comes to that? Yeah, it adds about half a run to the totals because you can have a dead nut under that can just blow up. We, you look at the Yankee game, didn't happen. Yankees went to extra innings 2-2. It's not going to be uncommon that you're going to see a 2-2 game turn into a 6-5 game because of that quirky roll. Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. What's up, everyone? It's me, three-time NFL All-Pro Sean Murray, and I have a new sports podcast called the Lights Out Podcast with Sean Murray. This podcast is special to me as I get a chance to talk to some of the best who've ever done it on the field or the track. So whether it's talking to a Super Bowl champion or a NASCAR Cup Series champion, the Lights Out Podcast will bring it to you the only way I know how to. I'm giving you the best insight from the best who's ever done it. Listen to Lights Out with Sean Merriman on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you can get your podcast. 
I think that the NFL 17th game, not that the game is is a joke. I think how they did it is a joke. I'm not a fan of the NFL's strict policy to lay out their schedule because I just don't think that there's creativity. I don't think that there is um, – I think it's just a, a formulaic. Uh, to me, it bothers me. Not that the 17th game is here. It's just how they decided to play the 17th game with cross-conference matchups, matched up with the division that you wouldn't be playing in a normal year. I'm not a fan of it. Yeah, NFL going to more parity or attempting to have it by having all the first place teams play an extra game against other first place teams. And I like the fact that it's very uh, follows a formula. So you could argue that it's fair. Every team is being treated equally. Dan, it sounds like you'd much rather see some maybe some regional rivalries more interest yeah, for the fans. Because I also, Steve, I don't think that it is fair. I, I think that the NFL wants you to think that it's fair, but I just I don't think it's it's fair. Like if it's it's not fair for for me if you were to have a you know a cross conference matchup where let's say one team let's uh, let's just say that their quarterback situation and uh, hypothetically last year the 49ers ended up playing the Jets early on in the season and so you know let's just say Sam Darnold you know is the better quarterback over Joe Flacco I don't think it's beneficial for Seattle later on in the season if they were to get the the Jets which they did and there could have been a host of of injuries that makes the matchup for Seattle against the Jets a lot easier than it would be for a 49ers team that had to play you know, mostly healthy Jets team. And I'm just using that as an example, but they try to make it seem like it's fair because everybody plays the same teams and it's on this rotational basis. But to me, it's not really fair because so much can change throughout the year. And then when you put home and away into it, you bring in weather into the consideration. It's why I'm not a fan. And I just, I think they're better served to have the Jets and Giants play every year. That'd be the game of the season in New York. Hey, Jets, Giants rivalry. Rams Chargers go at it. That's what I want to see more from the NFL if when they expanded the seven to 17 games, not what they did this time around. And what's interesting, although the current system they're going to use this year is based on formula, you could certainly argue it's not necessarily fair. RJ gave me, gave me a homework assignment. Uh, he'll be back tomorrow. But he asked me to take a look at all the teams and see who benefited the most from the 17th game and who caught the shaft based upon the change. I looked at the contenders, and I can tell you the number one team that benefited the most, San Francisco 49ers. How's this for being fair, Dan? So, the NFC West gets to go and play the AFC North. Now, they have to go on the road and travel, but um, the 49ers, they get to go to Cincinnati and play the Bungles. Pretty easy game. Contrast mm -hmm. that with everyone else in their division that has to go to Pittsburgh, to Baltimore, and to Cleveland. Maybe in the wintertime, as you mentioned, major advantage, San Francisco. That's interesting. Because I, 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 you know, the, and the 49ers have, have their own issues. But yeah, when you think about the, the standings and where it plays out, on where it would be a huge advantage. I, I thought in, the, in that same division, I thought a team like like Cleveland and I think it's I think it's similar to the 49ers because Cleveland had a really good year but Cleveland's third in that division. Now it just happens to be that they play the NFC West this year that's you know could be a you know that 
division is also three, four deep. But you could also get, you know, a Steelers team that we think, at least I think, is going to take a step back. And now they got to play the top seed. I look at the benefit of, you know, of, of a team like the of the Browns of, of, of being in that position. Is it the same scenario that you lay out with the 49ers for a team like Cleveland? Does benefit Arizona? Cleveland because they do get, as you mentioned, Arizona, the projected fourth place team in the NFC West. So advantage to Cleveland the later in the year they play an even bigger advantage. You know, some teams that did not get an advantage, Green Bay and the Rams. Hmm. You think you're going to play 16 games, maybe 17, then you wake up one morning and you're told if you're Green Bay, you got to go to Kansas City. And you tell the Rams, you got to go to Baltimore. That's major disadvantage for those two teams. It's it, it's it lays out my point, and this is this is the point where we all want to see Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes. I, I'm I, I understand that portion of it. However, when you are the NFL and you go to your formulas and you want it to be, and I know you can't see this on radio, fair as I'm using the air quotes, it really isn't. And you just you just laid out you know you just laid out the numbers there. Is you know, and I want to bring McKenzie in on on the 49er stuff. Is it just because of how bad the Bengals are or how good they could be? But you know, like what is it with the Niners and now how they could get that advantage? Well, the last time we played the Bengals, and I say we, my 49ers. <laughs> That's all right. It was probably the the game that changed the you know the whole projection of the oh, franchise. I know it's just the Bengals, right. but we won by like forty, and everything was all good vibes. We had stayed an extra week on the East Coast. It, to my mind, that's when I thought we were Super Bowl contenders. So. Bring on the Bengals all day, every day. That was like a week two game, wasn't it? Like a week yep. two or week three? Yeah, week two. Yeah, yeah, and they ended up because they won in Tampa the week before. And a little and that, bonding in Youngstown, Ohio, I think, before Youngstown, they crushed my bungles. That's all right. Bengals are going to be better, but I, I mean, it, to, to your point, it is such a such a you know a, a huge. It, it's when you get the 49ers, who again, you, you know, you just talk about their Super Bowl run that they had in the Super Bowl Fifty Four season, and just to have their injuries and they're back healthy. It's why I just I think that the NFL is is better off doing it, and and I know the argument. I know the argument, Steve, is that some teams may, uh, you know, get the get the you know the the bad end of the stick. Like if you had to, you know, if you have to go up against Kansas City every single you know every single year. Let's just say they they did a rivalry with the Vikings because it's somewhat in the area. You're like, man, we got stuck with the Chiefs. That. There's 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 nothing that you can you can do with that. But I also think that you could have a scenario where in college football, you're always looking forward to that matchup to try to knock out those those teams. And and, and I just I, I, I think it's worth more of the payoff for to have a New York rivalry, to have an L.A. rivalry, to have a Texas rivalry, if you would, between the Texans and Cowboys, then it would be just to rotate to try to make it quote unquote fair because I just, I know they want to make it fair. It's, you know, it's in a formula, as you said, but I just, I don't think that it's necessarily fair. I don't, I don't think that you would be getting a great disadvantage if you had a common rivalry every single year. To the NFL's credit, they did have the AFC hosting all these games, so the AFC teams will all get nine home games, the NFC nine road games. I'm very interested in terms of fairness to see what some of those road schedules will look like. I am sure there'll be at least one or two NFC teams that are going to be stuck with a really difficult four road games in five weeks with lots of travel situation. Mm, interesting. I'm going to throw a stat out at you guys, and, and I, I don't expect you to know this, but when you talk about scheduling, 
take playoffs out of the equation. Walter Payton, during his career with the Chicago Bears, same conference, not same division, played the New York Giants twice. They met twice in the playoffs, but Walter Payton's career spanned from 1975 to 1987 in games that Walter Payton, during that time, they played the New York Giants twice. Hmm. So maybe that's what the NFL, hmm. you know, wants to avoid. And I know that's why they put it on, you know, they put it on this cycle is they want, they want Tom Brady in, in, you know, well, now it's an AFC, but at the time they wanted him in an NFC stadium you know, once every eight years, like you wanted to make that go around and yeah, that's all fine and good. But I also thought that there was something unique about, you know, facing the same teams or having this long drought between a team. And I just really think that in the end, it doesn't necessarily matter because the NFL schedule as it is, isn't fair the way that sometimes they spread out conference teams. If you wanted to put all cross conference games in the first four weeks and play it that way, I would give them more credit in saying that they're trying to be fair. But when you have certain teams, you know, Green Bay and Tennessee, what played in week 16 last year. And while no, there were no major injuries in that game, there could have been, and there could have been an advantage, you know, gained by a Green Bay team over a Minnesota team who ended up playing, you know, having to play Tennessee earlier on in the season. Yeah, That's I still remember I the snow in that game and Tennessee not having the right cleats and uh, just being completely lost in terms of the footing. So certainly some games, the home field is going to be more advantageous than others. Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. The question that I now have for you is, um, do you think you're up to the challenge in teaching me how to card count in blackjack in under five minutes? I can do it in 45 seconds. Oh, all right. Okay. This is like name uh, name that tune. All right, Mackenzie, you alone. Well, you you know how to card count, Mackenzie. I mean, like this is this is gonna be this is gonna be a Dan sort of learning effort. And for those of you that are listening, you can learn as well. We are entering the master class of Steve Fezzik when it comes to, to card counting. Fez, the floor is yours. 10-second caveat, you need to know basic strategy. First in Blackjack, you can purchase a little card in all the gift shops here in Nevada. It'll tell you if you have 13, the dealer has a 3, you're supposed to stand. So you got to go ahead and memorize basic strategy or just have the card and be able to reference it, which is fine at the table. Let's get to actually card counting where we can get an advantage. We want to bet more money when there's a lot of 10s and aces left. It's like that movie Rain Man. 10s are good for us, Ray. Bet more. Bet more when there's (laughs) 10s. Lots of them. Lots and lots of queens. Okay. Here's your card counting system. And it's simple. Whenever you see a 10, a jack, a queen, a king, or an ace, those are bad cards. You don't like those. You count minus one whenever you see one of those, because it's bad for you. Negative counts are bad. If you see a baby card defined to be a 2, a 3, a 4, a 5, or a 6, those are good, because you've gotten rid of them. There's more 10s and aces left in the deck. Example, your very first hand, you get a 10 and a jack, you get 20, you tuck, and the dealer has a queen and a king. Dealer has 20. Both of you have 20. Both of you have two big cards. The running count is minus four. That's bad for you because you've got a negative count. You want to stop playing at all or bet the minimum. If the opposite happened and on the very first hand you hit, I'll do an extreme example. You get a pair of fours. You hit it three times. You wind up with 20. You've got five little cards there. And say the dealer went ahead and had a seven up, flipped over uh, a 10. Now you'd have a running count of plus four. You have five little ones. The dealer has a 
large card. The net counts plus four. It's favorable for you, so you bet more, you have the advantage. That is card counting in a nutshell. Does not matter if it's one deck or if it's six decks. You um, you still keep the same count. The one trick is that or I guess complication, if it's multiple decks, you have to divide by the number of decks remaining. That's card counting in a nutshell. Okay, so here we are, and and that is the master class from Steve Fezzik. I am not a good test test taker, but I want you to put me to the test here, okay? Can you just give me, let's go three scenarios. We'll just do three hands, but we'll do them individually. So I'll do a hand first, do a hand second, do a hand third, and then we'll see how I do here. Can you just give me my cards and the dealer's cards, and I will try to guess if it's a good or bad hand for me. Is that cool? Sure. Uh, first okay. hand, you have an ace and a seven, and the dealer has a five. What do you do? Okay. Well, that is, oh, geez. Um, well, there's a, it's a minus one because there's an ace, but there would be a good card because there's a five out there. Um, I guess I would, I would, I would, I would, I would stay because I would have. You're actually 18. supposed to double down. That's from oh, the double card. Down. But, okay. But. I love it. You have the count exactly correct. The seven, eights, and nines are neutral cards. They don't count for anything, so your count is correct. One little card, one big card. The running count is zero. You're spot on. Okay. All right. Good. And maybe what I'll do is instead of like the actual bet, I'll just say if it's advantageous for me or not. Is that good enough? Very good. Okay. Perfect. Give me another hand. Uh, you get dealt a six and a two, and the dealer has a three up. Okay, uh, that's there. That's a lot of low cards, so there are a lot of tens. So that's good for me. Right? That is would, correct. And yes. what is your what is your count at that point? Plus what three. You, you got it. That's all right. It's all right. You, you got it. All right. I hope you're in your car. I hope you can remember this. There's one more quiz. Let's see if I can go for the hat trick. You get dealt a blackjack, and the dealer has a 10-up. Unfortunately, the dealer flips an ace in the hole. Dealer has blackjack also, so you push the hand. Should you, uh, what's your running count after that hand? That would be a minus four. You nailed it. Yes. And, all right. And at that point, you want to pretend your phone rang, walk away, because the house has a bigger edge, because you just used up the tens and the aces. Oh, there it is. The the master class on uh, blackjack. I will have to put it to use. And uh, that is, okay, that's that's simple enough to to follow. There, as, as you could tell, there are certain other ins and outs, double downs and stuff like that. But really, the basic necessities is just all you need there. And Steve Fezzik. I kid you not, it did it in under five minutes. Bravo. Well done. Very well done. Right out of Vegas! Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live.